0: Okay, good morning. Uh, back another. Actually, today is a Friday morning, so it's about holidays. Just um, wrapping up from last week. I think last week you were off to return to the motherland, so to speak. First time back yep. in uh, 20 some odd years. Got a chance to see your your brothers. The old Saba ground. I think uh, Omagoradas. Yeah, we uh, lived, and uh, you okay. were. How long were you over there for? Was it two or three weeks? Uh, three weeks. Three uh, weeks. Uh, and uh, so we're around '78-ish, I believe. 1978. Yeah, '78. It was, 78. Okay. It was uh,
1: in August '78. Uh, it uh, the the coincidences were fantastic to make it the mm-hmm. perfect uh, visit there. I uh, I had a great time. And of course, uh, where you were born, it always keeps drawing you, uh, even though right now i I remember my childhood but my uh, for all practical purposes uh the uh, what happened before I came here in Canada means more to me than uh, that that is my memory because mm-hmm. this is my new life and uh in uh I uh, I landed in Pearson Airport and uh, my brother-in-law Casper came to pick me up. And so, uh, and how are you and how was the holiday? You know, the, the regular, because being from Holland, Casper also wanted to know. And he knew that I had been uh, for a few days in his hometown where my in-laws lived. And uh, I went to see them. Uh, so we kind of caught up with the, the, th- stuff for his where, where he came from. And then, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we were on the 401 going home, and then all of a sudden he said, well, I have to tell you something. Uh, he said, oh, uh, is it good or bad? Because, uh. I was not in the mood to listen to a lot of bad news. I was still uh, feeling very happy about, with uh, with the very recent memories that I just acquired. And, uh, well, he said, uh, you know, Sonya was working in the Christopher Robin home. I said, yeah, well...
0: Uh, now what's, what's the Christopher Robin home? Well, that was
1: a home where uh, they had children that were physically and or mentally handicapped in a, mm-hmm. in a rather severe way. Mm-hmm. And uh, that in itself was, uh, uh, I got personally involved in that, uh, emotionally. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's where Sonia worked. And uh, uh, she... Uh, How old she had been about that time, 18? In 78, 70, yeah okay. uh, but 18 or 19. Yeah. And, uh, no, 18, because she, uh, at, at that time, because I remember that, uh, her getting married when she was 18.
0: Gotcha. Anyway,
1: uh, Casper told me that uh, she had run off and didn't come home. Mom was worried and checked where, you know, like mm-hmm. missing persons. As a child, uh, you, you have an, an 18-year-old girl who doesn't come home at night. And mm-hmm. so uh, I wasn't home uh, just as if my holidays hexed everything here. And, uh, so mom called, uh, the cops and then, uh, the boys, the, the boy that she ran off with, Randy, uh, her, his mom phoned, uh, mom here and, uh, uh, said, uh, do you know where, uh, Sonja is? And then mom says, well, uh, don't you know? And because mom had meanwhile found out that they had gone to Scarborough and got married.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And uh, so she told Randy's mom and then, uh, oh, then, uh, she, then they must be with my ex. Because that was uh, Randy's dad that, uh, who kind of talked him into uh, getting married, get away from the old mother and uh, live, move in with him and his new wife. And that's what they did. They had a wedding ceremony in the backyard and everything was cozy until about uh, two or three weeks later he kicked them out and on a Sunday afternoon they were sitting at our driveway and uh, asking if they could stay with us. I said, well, sorry, but mom has gone to Pickering. You're going to have to wait on the driveway until mom comes home and then we can discuss it and we'll take it from there. So that's what they did. Uh, I don't know if they left for a bit yet to go into Whitby, but anyway, they stayed with us for a few weeks and uh, they got their own apartment and, uh, well, they were in in tough shape because he didn't have a job. Um, She had a job, but she kind of left it in a, Uh, in an unconventional way and uh, so here uh, of course they had to kind of depend on us but uh, you don't slap the hand that feeds you so I told them look uh, you're going to have to have some kind of an income and better look for your own place because you decided on your own to go and get married and live together so that's exactly what you actually have to do So I would strongly advise you to shop for an apartment and move in there. And, uh, well, Sonja softened me up and circumstances made me feel bad uh, for her experiences in life. Anyway, uh, that's how I'm emotionally made up. I can't help it. And they said, well, okay, Uh, if Randy hasn't got a job, I'll hire him on for a while in... Uh, in demolition,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I forget what building I was doing at the time. Uh, but he uh, he came on, but it was only a matter of a couple of days, and he wanted to wear the white helmet, which was an indicator that he was the foreman. If anybody come in, you always look for the guy with the white helmet. That's mm-hmm. the, the guy with the say-so. So if I wasn't on the job, then he... And uh, uh, I, uh, I told him that uh, if you want to get on top of the roof, you better get a ladder, you can't fly there. So you start on the bottom and you work your way up. Uh, we agreed on the wage and that is what you get. And if there is uh, room for moving, I'll soon have let you know. But before the time came he uh he was gone because uh Sonja decided to go with a guy, I think his name was Hans, he was a German guy, and she he wanted to go to Calgary, because that is where the boom was and with the oil fields and whatnot. And uh so, uh, he told her that she could go with him to Calgary, and, uh, well, uh, I was that age once. I don't know if I ever would have done a thing like that, but anyway.
0: What, to go to Calgary? Uh, yeah. As opposed to, like, Canada? Uh,
1: uh, yeah, but that was a bit oh, younger. Oh, that's different,
0: yeah, uh, much different. Yeah, you're no, right, no, it's no, a continent uh, and an ocean in between, but okay, uh, I got it. Uh, <laughs>
1: In a minute, you're going to tell me that the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Mm, I would
0: never do that.
1: No, 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 of course not. Uh, So anyway, uh, Sonja went to Calgary with with Hans and uh, had already told Randy that they weren't going to get anywhere, and she called off the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Randy wanted his last pay, holiday pay, the whole bit, for whatever it was he had coming, and I gave it to him, and somehow he managed to buy a new car somewhere, and he high-tailed up to Calgary after her, because he wasn't uh, ready to uh, break up his marriage. Yep. And, uh, well, typical Randy, and being no more than Sonia's age, because they were in the same class in in the Anderson High School, and uh, that's why Sonja switched from uh, Dennis O'Connor to Anderson, because Randy was there. And uh, so um, on the Ontario-Manitoba border, I think Randy couldn't wait to get to Calgary, and he rolled his car, mm. totally ride off, and ended up in a hospital. Somehow, Sonja learned that Randy had been in an accident and was in the lakehead somewhere uh, in in the hospital. And uh, so she found out the whole deal, and um, she actually went back to see Randy in the hospital, and uh, she felt so bad that she had left him, and you know how it goes. uh Zorro always comes after the sin. And she uh, uh he when he got back on his feet, uh he went to Calgary because uh she gave him her address that she got and so he was gonna look for a job in Calgary too. Fine. Uh anything was better there in the oil fields I guess. And uh Sonia was settled in and Uh, things didn't work out so uh, she left him for the second and the last time and uh, then she met this guy at work I think and he was from Oshawa originally and he had gone to Calgary and been there for a while but he wanted to go back to Ontario so uh Well, they were going out, and uh, they decided, okay, then we go back together, and uh, Eric was the guy's name, and he, don't forget, don't ask me for a second name, it don't matter. Uh, The two of them come back in his car, and, uh, but he kind of had to leave because he had a broken leg, and uh, he broke just around that time, and, I don't know, Sonja went to, Sonja and Eric went to live in an apartment on Olive Avenue in Oshawa. And it was one of those dumps from the 30s that was built for the industries coming to Oshawa around the GM plant and whatnot. But they were just little dives anyway. Uh, that uh didn't last too long and uh she met the next guy and but it doesn't matter really because uh it is nothing really that has any anything to do with my podcast if I wanted to get into that details I wouldn't get older
0: than so you came back Sonny went off, got married, headed to out west, came back, so she's back in Oshawa. Okay.
1: Yeah, and uh, but she got a job somewhere, and yeah. so did Eric, but uh, from there on, I had very little to do with, but I got that job, uh, a, a downward job on Anderson Street, and mm-hmm. as I was working on it, it, uh, of course the whole experience is kind of uh, worrisome to me, and uh, it's on my mind, and I had to get back into the swing of things after, because I had my holidays the first one in all those years and uh, it was fresh in my mind and uh, go back to work get into the uh, just get into the deep end right away because otherwise you'll have that, that vacation dragging on your mind all the time so I started to kind of see how I was going to go about it all and uh, what was there, what has to be done first. And uh, As I'm working away, I hear somebody knock on the back door, and that's where I had my my lunch sitting and uh, my tools in the back room. And uh, so I go down, I think I was upstairs, and I go downstairs, and there's this girl standing there, and I said, "Hi, hey, can I help you? I thought, but somebody, uh, do you have any, uh, do you have... a sp- a toilet here that's half decent or uh, do you have a couple of doors or kitchen cupboards or what have you anyway uh, i said well, what uh, were you after well uh, so i can tell you do i or do i not have it and she said well i was after a job and that kind of threw me back and the girl didn't want a job she was short she was a lot shorter than i was mm-hmm. and uh but she was she looked like she could physically handle herself. And uh, I said, a job? Well, it, uh, I don't want to be discriminatory, but it is not just uh, a job, It is dem- demolition It's not the easiest thing. And I'm not saying you won't be able to do it. I would never do that. But do you think you could handle demolition? And then she said, well, uh, you're Dutch. I said, yes. And uh, you speak German? I said yes. And would you mind that we speak German? Because I'm from Germany, so that came out of the out of the box. And I said no, I, I don't mind. So we started to speak German, and she then explained to me she had left her home in left her home in Germany, and she went to France.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in France, she got a job as a bulldozer operator. Uh when she said that, I thought, well, I don't think that you're going to have a lot of trouble with demolition. <laughs> uh, you know, because I knew from my trucking days what bulldozing was like. And uh, she said, uh, I said, but I may hire a guy or two to uh, expedite things a bit. And, uh, oh, that doesn't bother me, she said. Uh, uh, I, uh, I have a black belt in karate. Oh, but she was well prepared before she left that she was able to take care of herself. And uh, indeed she was. But uh, So we started to work and a um, couple of days and things were going great. And at lunchtime we would sit there in the sun in the back under some pear tree or whatever was on the corner of the house in the back. And uh, having our lunch and she was kind of telling me the story of her life and uh, her her parents were living in Germany and her brother was still, she had one brother and he was uh, a homo and uh, uh, he was staying in Germany and he was having a fairly good life but she says I'm a lesbian, so I uh, uh, I made sure that I could handle myself, and that's why I got my black belt. Mm-hmm. And uh, she didn't want to come to Canada. She meant to go to France because she spoke French mm-hmm. as well. And uh, so uh, she did, she decided after a while I don't know whether it was the winter time that to make a loser job, but but uh, somehow. She decided she wanted to go to Canada. So she came to Canada. Hope she ever got to Whitby, I don't know. But anyway, she did. She knocked on the door. And uh, Marita was her name. She was very nice, very nice girl. She was typically European, uh, not uh, too modest anymore. Because after the Second World War, things totally changed from the Victorian attitudes and principles. To the wide open, that's that's what the war did to Europe, and uh, uh, they were very straight-laced before. Anyhow, she, uh, we were sitting there one after one dinner time, lunch time, and uh, yeah, she said, "My uh, girlfriend and I, we live in Whitby and uh, no, my partner and I, that's what she said." So, okay, that is her partner. And I knew enough about the the new terminology because that was not the way it is today. And uh, she came to the job one time. She asked me, uh, I forget what her name was, but it doesn't matter. She came to the job and, uh, can I introduce you to her? So uh, I said, well, too bad I don't have enough coffee in uh, in my thermos. Otherwise, we could have a coffee here. And... uh, she said, no, it worked out fine because I stopped on the way and I got three coffees hoping that it was okay that I talked to Marita for, uh, for a for while. I said, no, that's okay. We can have a break now instead of later. And so uh, we were sitting there. She was a nice girl and then uh, as well, then uh, and why not? So when she left, we started to, we were sitting there for, maybe another five or ten minutes talking about her partner and where they lived. And uh, and then all of a sudden she said, well, I was born with, uh, to have big boobs, but I didn't want them, she said. And she talked as if I had known her for years. And uh, so... uh, I had uh surgery done and had them made smaller because it really bothered me in the kind of work that I was wanting to do she she was the, the male partner in the uh in the setup and uh uh, and, uh of course uh, the other girl was the mother and uh and uh and then all of a sudden she pulled up a t shirt and she says, Yeah, see right here under my boobs is still the the, the marks and it didn't do anything to me. And I, I looked and I thought, holy mackerel, if you, if you had some removed, then, yeah, I can understand that it got in the way. So anyhow, that was what I thought was, was funny. But she was a hellish good worker. And as we are working, there is this tree in the back, f- farther down in the garden, and there was a crow's nest in it. Mm-hmm. And one day, a young crow fell out of the nest. And it was fluttering around and flopping its wings, trying to get going. And maybe the mother kicked it out of the nest, you lazy bugger, you get out, you got to make it on your own. However it happened, uh, the little crow was there. And I go up there, I felt sorry for the poor thing, trying to, uh, uh, what I wanted to know, did it break anything? And, and Marita came right after me and she said... Uh, uh, what is it, I said, the little crow fell out of the nest up there. So we were looking at it and it was getting better, but it couldn't quite fly. So I got a big box that was left in in the back room, a big cardboard box, and I forget the name that we gave the crow, but uh, Jeremiah. We called it Jeremiah. Don't ask me why, because it had no connection to nothing, but... Mm-hmm. That was the name of the cow, Jeremiah. And Marita said, would you mind if I take I take him home? But uh, we didn't know it was Jeremiah or Jeremiah. But uh, I said, no, fine. I said, I just don't want this bird to to die here, starving to death in pain or whatever. And No, no, we'll take good care of, her, of him. And uh, so uh, that's how it we went. And... Uh, one day, I went to visit him after work. I I had to bring her a message or talk about job or something. And uh, she, uh, she said, oh, you came to see Jeremiah. I says, yeah, I wouldn't mind. Uh, I said, how is she doing? Well, we bought a cage for him. So they had a nice big wire cage, and there's Jeremiah. And he comes out, and he picks at my finger when I put my finger through the the, the wires, and... Uh she said, I think that uh, he's not going anywhere. So he loves it here. And uh, I figured, well, I can understand that. That was their little baby. So, and they were nurturing him to life, back to health. And uh, Jeremiah was flying around a bit and then landed on, didn't fly much. But he, he could fly in the meanwhile at least. And uh, I said, hey, Jeremiah, come here come sit on my hand and uh, so he comes down and I hold him and he's looking at me and bobbing his head. Next thing I know he's sitting on my shoulder and I said okay I'll make it easy for you. So I, we were on the back lawn and uh, he flew up off of my shoulder, made a circle and landed on my half bald head and he was sitting there and I could feel his his, his nails dug into the skin. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's a nice feeling, especially from a bird. I, I, I love the, the feel of feet from a bird on me. I had that on several occasions. And anyway, uh, he sat there for a while, and I was looking up. And then uh, she said, just a minute, I, uh, I'll go get the camera. I've got to take a picture of that. Because uh, they didn't have a picture of Jeremiah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Uh, so she she took a picture. I still have the picture. I got to show it to some job. sometimes. Uh, I got to find it back mm-hmm. in that lineup. And, uh, you know, 17 albums with 200 pictures each, so there's an awful lot of pictures. So uh, anyway, I left, and, uh, and the job, oh, I, you know that wingback chair sitting in the living room? Yeah. Well, I had to go into the basement to see how the furnace was, what kind of a furnace it was. But the water had gone into the basement, and it was but a couple of feet up. And I didn't have any rubber boots on me, so uh, I couldn't go in. But I I, I looked, and, oh, there is the, the oil tank, there is the furnace, and everything is right, uh, well a couple of feet under water except I saw this wingback chair
0: mm-hmm.
1: floating on the water and the the material was ripped and uh, the one leg was broken and the and it was all hand carved. That is what got my attention that hand carving on it was beautiful. So uh I got a hook somehow to drag the chair to the stairs so I could bring it up. And I loaded it into the pickup truck and took it up to Ad Manders, who was an upholsterer in Whitby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was Dutch. He was, in fact, from my profit, so I could uh, understand. we could understand each other in our own dialects. And uh, I said, Ad, I have a chair that... I was wondering how much it would cost to have that reupholstered because the upholstery is old. Where did you get that? I said, well, it was floating water in a house that I'm demolishing on Anderson Street. And I saw the carving on this, and it is such a beautiful chair, but it needs fixing up. And he said, well... Uh, Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna cost you 400 bucks to fix it up. Uh, I said, well, can I pick out the material for it? He says, you, you want me to, to do the upholstery for that money? Well, that was a lot of money, but, Mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, in the 1970s, uh, compared to today, it doesn't mean much, but anyway, uh, he says, i tell you, uh, I'll give you $500 for it and then just as is, you don't need to worry about a thing and I'll do the upholstering and then I call it my chair. I said, what makes it so special? He said, that chair is from the 1700s and it is called a Pennsylvania wingback chair. And uh, he says, that is a true antique. He says, and I would love to reupholster but I like to have the material on it, and I can get it, he said, but it has to be from that era. Because if you put modern material on it, he said, that it is, there is all the kilter, you can't do that. Then the chair wouldn't maintain its value. Mm-hmm. So uh, he got uh, this big book with all kinds of samples of the different materials that you use for upholstery. And he says, well, this one, and this one, this one, and then the next piece, and this one, and this one and uh, he said they would be compatible with uh, its age and purpose and uh, so I picked the color that was on it and he says uh, don't you like the green I got the same color in green I said that's my favorite color but I tend to overdo it uh, everything is is going to be green and uh I heard somebody tell me that the lady in Oshawa was so much for uh, orange that she painted the gutters and the the window frames and the doors and everything this uh, medium orange color Mm -hmm. and she got so sick of it she sold the house because she couldn't stand the paint anymore, the the, the paint color anymore and uh, instead of loving it she strongly disliked it and I said well I got to be careful that I don't overdo it, because when I buy carpet, it is green. It shouldn't be all green, but that is what I favor. And uh, it happens to be my favorite color. So he said, well, then I'll put it in, uh, put it in this red one. I said, yes. I said, uh, uh, if you are willing to give me that kind of money for it, then it is that money. It's worth that money to me, too. Dammit, he says, I would have loved to have had it, he said, but uh, uh, I had to. Uh, I didn't know how much you knew about antiques. I said I knew it was well worth it, but what attracted me is the carving. And he knew another Dutch guy who was good in woodworking, and he took a lot of furniture there who, if he had to uh, redo some of the framework... So, uh, Vegas was his name. He was also from our back in the woods back home. And he fixed it all up and brought it back to I at it and one day he called up and I got your chair ready. So I went up there, picked it up, paid the bill, then went home with it. And it's been with us ever since. And now it is sitting here in Tilzenberg in the house. And uh, uh, it has a little crack again in the, in the rail on the side, but maybe someday when I can do it, I'll figure a way to glue that up again. But that was uh, my experience there with Marita.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and uh, we were living on Highway 2 there uh, when uh, when I was doing that job. and. Uh, one day, we heard some noise, blowing horns with cars. What the heck is the racket outside? So we look out, and there were the White Oaks apartment buildings, uh, you know, big, I don't know how many stories. And, uh, there was cars coming, but they were going slow. And then we saw this guy, but he was not walking like normal. And, uh... Uh, we all went out to, and in the first car that came by, we were there just in time, and they gave they gave us a pamphlet, mm-hmm. and in it says that this was Terry Fox, but well, now everybody knows about Terry Fox, but we didn't know about that. Well, maybe and not the, everyone, because who well, was Terry Fox for those that? But yeah, the the guy had uh, cancer, and he wanted to. Do something. He came up with a fantastic idea and he, uh, he is a Canadian icon.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, But he came by and uh, uh, there was, I don't know whether it was his dad or his uncle, but there was a guy who had a, a big can with him and uh, walking right along with Terry to make sure that if anything happened, he was there to support him. And we ran up there and they put some money in it because they were trying to collect money for the very first Terry Fox run. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I looked at him and his face was red, he was tired. You know, and the way you have seen him in videos, how he walked, and uh, he actually uh, smiled at us but uh, you couldn't shake hands because uh, well, that was not a thing to do, he, he had a goal set to do and uh, I I counted myself lucky that to actually have physically alive seen Terry Fox. Later on we read more about it and we talked to other people, yeah did you see, and everybody knows a little bit more so eventually, but he ended up going to Toronto where he stayed for the night. And uh, and that is quite a ways to drive, but for him to walk on a wooden leg, and he was in his uh, light blue or medium blue light blue shorts because it was summer time, and he, uh, I I thought, how in the heck can you do it? Because uh, later on I heard how sore the stump of his leg was. This upper leg fitting into that uh, leather cup on top of that that wooden leg and uh, that guy must be in a terrible pain all the time so uh, but he he went on he went through Ajax and all those uh, towns and he got up to Toronto and that's where he stayed and the next day he went on and on and on and I I forget now, I think it was, there is a monument where he had to go to the hospital and they discovered that the cancer had come back. And uh, indeed that was the end because uh, not long after and he died and the cancer had come back. But then the country organized this Terry Fox run and his mom was with him in one of the cars right behind him. And uh oh, there was there was quite a uh, quite a lineup. And uh but I remember that and I I have a picture of Terry coming by and I often think about it the stamina. That guy must have had the willpower that as I have never seen the the equal of. Uh and I thought I could sometimes be stubborn, but that guy was something else I uh, and then uh, I couldn't help but think, well, see, that's what the Canadian is made of because he was as Canadian as they come, and I was just an import. But,
0: uh, uh, well, and just to clarify, because not everyone knows maybe Terry Fox or maybe not from the country, but Terry Fox was, as you mentioned, he was Canadian. I think he was only about 20... 20- He was a young guy. Lost his leg due to cancer when he was 18 or 19 and decided he was going across Canada. So he actually traveled just over 5,300 kilometers. He dipped his foot, his leg, that leg, that artificial leg,
1: in the Atlantic. Then that's where he started to walk. And after days, because people were talking about him, and he got to, maybe where I saw him, he got to Toronto. And isn't that the lakehead where he ended up, where he finally had to give up his walk? I'm not sure. And other people took over for him and finished and uh, dipped his leg in the Pacific. Mm -hmm. They went across to finish the up for him. That was his aim, to go from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And Canada is not a small piece of real estate. It's the second largest country in the world. So that was one hell of an undertaking and maybe at that time he thought that I, I can do it and he knew himself but you, you have that ideology and he set a purpose I uh, I am a young guy I want to live I want to enjoy my life but I owe it to other people to, to get money for the cause of researching cancer so that other young guys like me, young people, don't have the same problem. And uh, uh, I read a whole article about it one time, but uh, I found it so amazing because he was he was no more than two inches tall by the time I went inside, him going down highway to west towards Ajax. And I just couldn't believe the stamina that the guy must have had. It... Uh, uh, I, I always had a, a still do a soft spot in in, in me too, uh for Thierry. Uh, uh, it's it's un- unbelievable.
0: No, just a little, I just Googled while you were talking here. Yeah, so he ended up uh, traveling a whole 143 days and got over 5,373 kilometers before he couldn't go any farther. And since then, up till a few years back, um, He's raised in his name over 750 million across the globe. So Good, I'm glad you told me because I didn't know, but
1: I was hoping that he might make a million by the time he gets to the other side because cancer research, especially at that time, was a big thing. And I had, my mom died of cancer, my brother, uh, Joe, died of cancer, and... Uh, uh, Afterwards, without, I knew it at the time, but my brother Harry did, he had leukemia. But uh, that was a, a bad thing. On top of that, uh, uh, in hindsight, I was always here when they had, uh, what do you call, it, when Tamara was uh, involved in that... Uh, Relay for life. The Relay for life. Yeah. And uh, we were there all the time, and you could buy that uh, this candle and uh, uh, dedicated to a person in your life who had died of cancer or is suffering from cancer. And then they would, you pay so much for the candle, they would light it up. And then at night, that whole, there was like a a track, a running track, a track for track and field for the kids for that that high school. And uh, I had... I or six that I had to buy every year for everyone that, because at the bordeaux there was quite a few uh, that uh, most of all, most of them died of cancer. Uh, it seems to be a genetic thing, but anyway, I, uh, uh, yeah, I remember that uh, uh, I was hoping that he would make a million, but... Uh, how many, how many millions did you? say? So that was just
0: overall in his lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Seven hundred fifty million. Seven hundred and fifty. Since nineteen eighty one up to about two thousand eighteen. Mm-hmm.
1: Holy mackerel! Imagine that. So, uh, his ideal, he accomplished more than what he wanted. He his goal sacrificed was, his
0: life for it. His goal was to raise a dollar for every person in Canada, which is roughly about twenty four million. Oh. I don't know if he had raised it at the time. Oh, but okay. that was his original, so he definitely exceeded that. So Well he
1: uh, uh... anyway. Unbelievable. Yeah, but
0: well, we have what 30, 31
1: million or so. Yeah. Right. And his rate or his walk was called the Marathon of Hope. Yeah. That's right correct,
0: the correct. correct. The marathon of hope. Okay.
1: Uh so yeah, where
0: did I uh you're you this was nineteen eighty one. Roughly, so Terry Fox. Had come oh, to his union. yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: in 1981. Let me see, my uh,
0: <laughs> big reunion. If I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh yeah, we had uh, the Yulikers, uh That uh, somehow I uh, we got to know some people. They were all from moms area where she comes from, in the south of Limburg, and, uh... So were they neighbors, or...? uh, No, they, uh... The guy who uh, owned the place where it was kept, Mm -hmm. uh, he lived, he was actually working in the mine as a tool and die maker, and uh, he came to Canada, and he was living in Newcastle, and he had his family, and his wife's sister, was a widow and somehow through her and Bill Reinders who uh got married to her later on or back before that uh, he uh we got to know Lise uh Liz, uh, Liz, uh, Liz uh, Roberts was her maiden name but uh she went now by Reinders because that was Bill's last name and uh and then Liz said uh, well, we we were getting together quite a bit already, you know, playing cards at their place. Mm. Playing cards was a big thing for the for the people from the south back then, and uh, so we got to be a big bunch of friends. And they already had these family reunions, you know, like the rice picnic. Mm. That's what more or less that was it, it. Almost a carbon copy of it. When I saw that, huh, that's the Judiker uh, uh picnic. So uh that is how we got to we got to go to the Julikers. and uh, and they had uh a lot of friends again that we never knew but uh and then my brother-in-law Casper and uh, and Lou, the other brother-in-law, with their wives, they were all from that area and they uh, they all joined in and we were having a great time. Uh, but that was before, uh, between that and my sister and brother coming over on the entail, I went through... Uh, Bankruptcy, which had dragged on, dragged on, but uh, Charlie told me to see this lawyer that, uh, I asked Charlie, I said, things don't look good, I need a lawyer. And uh, so he gave me one and I went to see him and he said, I cannot represent you unless, and he knew all the facts and figures, I gave him the papers. And he said, there is no way that you're going to be ever getting all of this on your own. Uh, that one truck deal that was hanging there for the longest time finally got to the point where I had no choice. You carry that over, you carry that over. And uh, I, He said, either you go and see this, um, somebody who looks after uh uh, bankruptcies, I ought to know. Uh, uh, a bankruptcy lawyer? Yeah, yeah, yeah well, uh, 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 somebody who does the paperwork okay. for bankruptcy. Whatever, because I, I should remember, but it is quite a few years ago, 40 years as a matter of fact. And uh, so I, uh, I thought, well, if I have no choice, I got no lawyer. I had a lawyer in Whitby and I went to see him and uh, he said, I can no longer represent you. I said, uh, "Why? What, what's wrong? He says, well, the guy that uh, that is suing you retained me. And, of course, he was a big businessman. There, there was millions in his pocket. And I was on the wrong side of the fence going into bankruptcy. And he said, I, you have to look for a new lawyer. I found out after that what he did was uh, illegal, but he knew damn well that I had no leg to stand on to to uh, look for the ombudsman of the lawyers in Toronto. I did entertain the thought, but uh, uh, I was just a bum boy when I got to the court eventually. Because that amount, uh, well, uh, they do that in between the other cases. Because there was, uh, I don't remember the name of the the trustee. That's the name, the trustee in the bankruptcy. And he looks after everything. And he comes to your place and he checks out what everything is worth and then how much uh, has to go to the... The debtors, uh, the the guys that uh, that the money is owed to, and then they he looks after spending that money, and then you go to the court and he speaks on your behalf, and you have a clean sheet, and no credit for seven years. And uh, so that is what I had to go through. And uh, as I was sitting in the trustee's office and uh, and it was on a Friday afternoon and it was close to, close to four o'clock. And uh, because I was thinking I had better get home, I sat there talking about the whole thing because what did I know about bankruptcy? I knew lots of it after, but not at that time when I should have. So uh, as we sit there talking and all of a sudden the phone goes, he says, excuse me. And he picks up the phone. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll see what I can do. Okay, right, bye. And he let go of some language you don't want to write on the door, the door of the church. You don't look for them in the Bible either. And he says, "Well, imagine the guts." I said, "Well, I don't know what's what's wrong." He said, "This guy phones me up. They have a clothing store downtown." Toronto and they want to go bankrupt, but they want me to uh, file the bankruptcy at 4 o'clock because all the offices are closed after that. That where you can do that, and you got to wait till Monday. And he said, We want to go bankrupt now. So you file the bankruptcy. Because we have the weekend to move the the our stuff out of the store because on Monday we want to open another store halfway across the city. He says, Can you imagine the guts? He says they want they want to make money going bankrupt. I said, Well, that is not my purpose of it. No no, he says, I can see this, but he says that imagine that the, what the hell is the matter with these people? I said, well, I don't know, but uh, uh, that has nothing to do with me, really. No, he said, but I do get things like that once in a while, and I said, fine. Uh, So we finished things off, and I went home. Then he sent me a letter in the mail on that and that day. I have to be at his office, and we go to the court in Toronto, where there is going to be a hearing, and all the creditors, that's what they were called, all the creditors were had a chance to go there to have their say. And uh, so I went there and one guy went and another guy and this one was another fifty thousand and was this four hundred thousand and uh, you know the big figures and I thought, what the hell am I doing here? My figure was more or less around thirty-five thousand. Nothing to, but my earning capacity, that was a lot of money if I at the same time wanted to keep the the family fed and the wolf away from the door. So um, he said, don't worry about it. He said, "Uh, you just sit here and uh, you have to take a oath and I'll look after the rest. So I did just what he told me. I kept my mouth shut and uh, I did what the judge told me and then I sat down. And uh, uh, it was this, it was that, and just looked at the papers and you got the bang on the bum and the case was over. And he said, well, let's go, because he only had me that day, only one bankruptcy to worry about. And from there on, I had to see that I found my own way. And, uh, uh, but there are so many things that you can do, and uh, with demolition I had also learned quite a bit. Uh, see, that job in Oshawa that I got from the city of Oshawa was really declinched, uh, added to that trucking deal that, that made it impossible for me, and when it was all added up, um, uh, I had a bookkeeper come in one time we, from the government to check the books, and. Uh, he said, well, I can't do much here. He said, uh, you better get these papers in order and file for bankruptcy. He said, uh, you're not, what did he call that? Uh, uh, I wasn't able to, to make it. That was the opinion of the, uh, the, the accountant of the government, uh, uh. I forget his name. I even remember his name. Uh, He had a fancy name. uh, Something to do with with birds. But anyhow, he... uh, Nightingale. That's what it was. His name was Nightingale, and the first name I never caught. For the longest time, I kept his card. And uh, so from there, I went to see Charlie, and Joyce happened to be there, and both of them were advising me, and you go to see... O'Donnell, and uh, that was the lawyer that Charlie suggested, and that is how I ended up at that trustee. So anyway, uh, uh, there was a guy, he was a Dutch guy, and Whitby has a big Dutch community, at least at that time, because I was wise. And he he was in real estate, and uh, he heard that I had gone bankrupt, and he knew my family, and... uh, uh, so he called one time and he says, I, I have a piece on my house here in Brooklyn and it, it is plaster with gravel on it and it came off the, the lath. It's an old, old house. He said, but I like to get it. Reese uh, uh, could you do it? I said, well, I don't know her, but I, uh, I never did much of that kind of work. In fact, I never did any of it uh, except on the on the floor, maybe, on the ground. But uh, he said, "Well, come and have a look," and uh, I'm home this afternoon. He said, "Tell me how much it is gonna be," and uh, he says, "You, you probably are looking for work." I said, "Yeah." Well, I thought that uh, you might be willing to do this job, so I went to go and have a look at it, and uh, uh, yeah, I said, "I'll." Uh, i 'll be able to do that i wasn't sure, but I thought uh, i 'll be talking to some people who are in that kind of work and i 'll find uh somebody who uh, who can do me or can at least explain to me and I did and uh, so I bought a few tools that I needed for the job because the tools I had were not of the plaster or masonry kind and uh, so I went up there full of pepper vigor and uh, I started on the job and I finished and I got paid and a friend of his, he was in real estate, he was a German fellow and uh, he had a mate like there was the two of them and his uh, companion was uh, Italian and one was Steve and the other one was Dominic. Don't ask me the names further, but anyway, they came to me and uh, we have bought a big old house on the corner of Palace and Highway 2. Uh, could you have a look at it? We'll take you up, and then give us a price how much the demolition is going to be. Oh, holy mackerel, the, uh uh, no, that was, that was, no, 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 that was at the beginning of my uh, devil. I was, I'm at the wrong end of it, sorry. Uh, I'm at the end of my demolition period and Herb got me on my feet and uh, somebody, somebody got me another job. Um uh, Sonia worked at a carpet place in Pickering and those guys needed work done in their factory. It was called uh something carpet uh I bloody names. Anyway, uh they needed the office chases an office built or something. And could you do that? I said, yes, I can do that. And I put that up. That was the job right after I uh, I was getting more tools. And I did a job for Herb, Herb Fisher, in, in Brooklyn. So I could pick and I do that job. And that was next, that factory was a a factory, uh, a, a carpet factory and uh, next to it was uh, a bunch of stores and businesses and uh, as I was doing the job for uh, that carpet place, mum would know the name of hand, but uh, it is sitting on the tip of my tongue, I don't want to fall off. Anyhow, I as I was doing the job, this guy that has a uh, a spa place like a, a gym, spa, whatever you call it, in there, and uh, he was uh, he was uh, an offshore person, like he was not born Canadian, but anyway, uh, he saw that I was there, I had a truck, and uh, he heard that they were getting. Couple of offices built in the factory uh, because they had to expand, and uh, uh, he needed some work done uh, for him because uh, he was expanding in his unit, and could I give him a price? Mm-hmm. So that is how I got on my feet, building instead of demolishing, and uh, uh, that's what I did after that. Some. Pardon? summit 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 you were not even in Summit carpet yeah. that is where it was yeah. And, oh yeah and uh, uh, I think the owners were George and toby and uh as I was working there uh, I had to turn off the hydro and george the, the 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 guy that was the, the, the main the general maintenance guy. He says, I can get you up there. He says, you have to disconnect it up there. Um, And that's a high ceiling, you know, these industrial ceilings. He gets the uh, uh, skid, puts it on the the forklift. I stand up there and I go up and I have my tools on me. I always carry my tools. And, uh, well, the the hydro was on it. It was only 440 volts, but still. And somehow, I touched that wire and I got the jolt of my life. It was the second time I had that kind of... Uh, I was lucky I didn't fall off that that pallet that he had on the forklift. But because that is quite a jolt, but fortunately, instead of standing on... Of course, the, the forklift is on the rubber wheels. Mm-hmm. If it hadn't been that well insulated, the wooden skid, And the rubber wheels, I would have not survived it, I don't think, although I had an equal experience back home. Anyhow, um, uh, that job, uh, I did that job, I got that, and uh, then this man wanted to do a job for him. And it was not long after that somehow a muffler place in Ajax, Uh, It was not too far away from where they had that. They needed tiles put in their washrooms. And uh, would I be able to put the tiles in? So that's what I... I said, yeah, I can do that. I learned a lot. I learned how they make mufflers and muffler pipes and whatnot. But at the same time, I made good money uh, tiling the whole thing and that is what usually happens one job leads to another to another and uh, and just like with demolition if you put your name in the yellow pages you get calls that that's the best thing you can do is at least at the time advertising the yellow pages that's where i got most uh that's where i always kept going Sometimes I was too busy, sometimes I was wondering what i got to do next week, but, uh, uh, well, uh,
0: my life has been,
1: uh, a lot of it has been by the seat of my pants. Uh, but,
0: anyway, that uh, I we'll, think is just about. Yeah, we'll cut it off there and we'll, we'll pick up next week. Yeah, okay. okay. Thank you.